Coming to you from our opulent and luxurious 4x8 refurbished broom closet at the National Headquarters in Indianapolis. With duct tape, studio lights, and a mic that you barely can hear, we hope to entertain and educate you. This is the Tango Alpha Lima Podcast. They call me crazy because I'm facing all my giants. They try to scare me into thinking I can't fight it. They tell me I should never even think of trying. But that's just me. I'm going to live out in defiance. Hello, 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 and welcome back to the Tango Alpha Lima Podcast. Is it just me or is the song kind of growing on me? Maybe I'm just getting used to it. It's it's definitely not the Irish music I had hoped for when we started this uh, <laughs> trip, but you know. What were you like thinking like, what was it called? I wanted Flaggy some, I wanted some Dropkick like, Murphys or Flaggy Dropkick Molly Murphy, or something. Flaggy yeah, Molly's. Like, yeah, like that but, was some cool intro. You know, and I and I think our our guy, our announcer guy, Matt, does a pretty good job. His, his voice is growing on me. Like, it's okay. kind of working. All right, everybody, if you don't uh, know us already, you're probably never going to, but we're joined by Jeff Daly of the Hollywood Dailies. And Mish Ashley Garbolja Maldonado out of Washington, D.C. Hello. Hello, guys. As Hello. always, as always, good to see you guys. And today we've got uh, we've got a, a great and uh, timely pair of guests. Uh, as you know, September here is about to be. Ashley, what is the exact phrase on what it is? September is National Suicide Prevention Awareness Month. I couldn't remember if it was prevention and awareness or prevention awareness. I think it's it's like some folks say National Suicide Prevention Month, but I also think it's opportune to say awareness as well. I mean, that's... I'm, you can't I'm prevent glad I, without you I'm, can't prevent without a, bringing awareness and educating. Isn't, so. the, isn't the idea of having a month dedicated to it kind of awareness? I like, the, I like the Might fact that I wasn't sure, so I threw it to Ashley, and she also wasn't <laughs> sure. So I, I kind of just you know ran what? over you with the bus that acceptable. I'm driving, but yeah, either or so, acceptable. Yeah, so about Sorry. our guests, uh, it, it's a. a, a couple of gentlemen with PTSD now. Uh, Chase Rochelle was a staff sergeant in the Army National Guard in Nevada and served multiple tours as a gunner in Afghanistan. When he returned home, he struggled with PTSD. And despite his many attempts to seek help, the husband and father of two young children took his own life on September 9th, 2019. In his grief, Chase's father, Craig, took immediate action to help prevent other Nevada National Guard members from dying by suicide. And he founded the Chase Rochelle PTSD Prevent and Treat Stress and Depression Now Foundation to address and reduce suicide among military service members and their veterans. Uh, Craig will be our guest today, along with Steve Lenzi, a U.S. Marine Corps veteran and member of Nevada Post One and a close friend of the Rochelle family who sits on the board of the foundation. So this is going to be a very meaningful uh, episode in the spirit of National Suicide Prevention and Awareness Month. Uh, so we will be right back after this quick commercial break. The American Legion is Veterans Strength in America. We're in your community, supporting veterans, service members, and their families, enriching the lives of young people and promoting citizenship and patriotism. Our members are passionate about these core values. Help strengthen America by joining the American Legion today. For more information, go to legion.org join. And now we're joined by Craig Rochelle and Steve Lindsay from PTSD Now. And Jeff, you get to start today. That is, uh, that is my pleasure. So uh, nice to have you guys on the show. Uh, I wish that your organization didn't have to exist, uh, but it does. And 
something really struck me right from the, the beginning of the bio where you said inconsistent approach to preventing, identifying, treating PTS symptoms within the National Guard system from state to state. Are you, you saying that every state, there, there's not a unified approach to this or is it the execution that, that where the problem lies? Uh, well, first off, uh, Craig Rochelle here. Thank you, uh, Ashley, Mark, and Jeff for uh, hosting us today. So uh, appreciate that. Um, probably a little bit of both. Um, you know, the National Guard is broken into 54 units uh, across the United States and uh, territories, um, and each has their own leadership. And so many of the programs are independent of one another. Uh, there is some commonality among the National Guard Bureau. Uh, but the execution of these programs, what's included in the programs, uh, differs from state to state. And so our initial focus has been to create a pilot program here in the state of Nevada, where we reside, uh, and hopefully with the thought that that you know, can become universal across the other properties uh, that the National Guard runs and controls. So while you're, while you're working on these things, do you find... Uh, that with the Guard are some special challenges different than uh, active duty because they're not there every day. Uh, sometimes leadership can't uh, identify it because they're not there. And it's, and you can, you know, you can cover it up for a weekend maybe. Um, I, I, I don't know if you could cover it up every day, all day. Do you, do you find that that is a, a, a challenge? Well, uh, certainly, I mean, I can, I can start in terms of the response. I mean, in speaking for the Nevada National Guard, you're talking about approximately 4,500 men and women that serve. About 1,000 are active duty. The other uh, 3,500 would be on the reserve uh, component, which is what you're, you're speaking about. And so, yes, I mean, it does create some challenges. Uh, the, in terms of the staff that's available to help and work uh, with men and women, soldiers and airmen that are suffering stress and depression uh, is really very, very limited in terms of you know, what they can handle. And their caseloads in many cases are over 100 uh, individuals that they're trying to manage. So uh, it does create some challenges. Maybe Steve uh, Lindsay would like to speak a little bit about the challenges of balancing personal life and military within the guard. My, <clears throat> excuse me, my experience when I was in the military, uh, of course, I was a young man. I was active duty Marine Corps. <clears throat> the Marines were, they would see me every day. They would see me every evening. Uh, and as you point out uh, correctly, I mean, they had a chance to watch me 24 seven. If there were issues, <clears throat> they would know it. They'd know it quickly. But dealing with the guard, uh, the particular challenge is having a separate life, the reservists. Uh, they're older generally than the younger active uh, people that uh, was similar to my experience. They have lives, they have professions. Um, they uh, can often come into the guard with pre-existing problems. Uh, stresses from normal life. Uh, so the guard on their intake is picking up a little bit different kind of uh, uh, profile personality 
than what, say, a young draftee or enlistee at 18 years old is going to bring to the military. Uh, so that's really a unique challenge in, from my perspective, uh, from what the Guard has to deal with. And then, of course, uh, as you point out, uh, the reservists are only seen by their command uh, for a very brief period of time. So the other dimension to this is if you don't <clears throat> have a culture that promotes self-identification, where uh, the personnel are willing to come forward, uh, and identify themselves as having uh, some difficulties with stress, uh, with trauma, uh, depression. Uh, you, it's very possible to miss so much of the problem. And that's why I think we have uh, this difficulty with suicide uh, that we do have in part. So uh, when, when we try to compare, say, our active military from a more traditional standpoint with the guard. Uh, that's why I think you have a little bit of this lack of uniformity across commands. Nevada is a relatively small command in terms, I mean, if you look at states like Florida, Texas, their commands, 15, 20,000 military personnel, much more difficult. And the amount of resource that they have devoted to identifying these problems uh, vary across state lines. Uh, Nevada, you know, when Craig started the foundation, uh, Nevada had three people, uh, even over a force of 4,500, that's very limited for dealing with these kinds of problems. Uh, other states may be a little bit more of a commitment, so the ratio's a little different, but almost uniformly, there's not enough resource in any of the states to really deal with the impact of the problems. I'd like to add a little bit to what uh, Steve is mentioning as well. Well, you know, one of the challenges that the Guard has uh, is, is the support that they have in terms of foreign conflicts. Really, since the Vietnam era, the, the support for many of the fighting forces, whether it was in Kuwait, uh, Iraq, Afghanistan, came through the National Guard units in all the different states. And so when you look at the combination of, of, of challenges that a Guard member may have, uh, they've got the deployment issue in a foreign war. Uh, they're dealing with civil unrest uh, in the case, especially out west here. Uh, they're dealing with fires back east. They're dealing with floods. And so they're called on in many, many different areas and challenges. And so this creates its own unique challenge for guardsmen. Generally, they're older, they have families, they have children. And so if you can imagine the comparison between the Vietnam era, where the fighting forces were quite younger uh, and they were single to what we're dealing with today in the, the current conflicts, I think it's part of the challenge why the National Guard has one of the highest incidences of suicide within their ranks is because of balancing all of these issues. I, I, I get what you're talking about. I was uh, an 18-year-old Marine who thought that I was invincible and I thought that I knew everything. I'm just now starting to realize that maybe there's a little bit of a chink in that armor, yeah. uh, but I convinced myself otherwise. So do you find the culture... And I, I talk about that because the culture of the Marine Corps is very much that you don't really admit to any weakness. <laughs> uh, 
that bone sticking out. Yeah. I'll just duct tape that back in and we'll worry about it later. Kind of an attitude. And, mm. uh, do you, is there that similar, is there that similar feeling all around where people just don't ask for help? Is it still a stigma? Well, sure. I mean, uh, again, the warrior mentality that has existed within all branches of the military, including the National Guard, uh, has been a strong one. And the attitude in the past was just tough it out. Uh, you can deal with it. Uh, you don't want to come forward with dealing with stress and depression issues uh, where it might hurt your career, it might hurt your chances for advancement. You could be sidelined. You may not be fit for duty. And so the attitude was always simply just to tough it out. And so uh, that is changing. And that's one of the tenets uh, that we're working with in changing that culture through the line of command uh, so that it's okay uh, that if you're dealing with some issues and to try to put mental uh, you know, resiliency on a parallel is physical fitness. So mental fitness should be equal to physical fitness. And we need to devote the time and attention to put those on equal plateaus. And I 100% agree. <laughs> uh, are we going to Mark or Ashley now? We'll go to Ashley next. All right. So I am a former National Guard soldier of eight years. And Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate all that you're doing as someone who has worked in the transition space for a while, uh, from a benefits to mental health, to VA, to all of the above, the whole gamut. I appreciate what you're doing because you really hit the nail on the head with the variation of state benefits and resources and personnel that are allocated. Um, I love what you're saying in regards to really starting at the chain of command and creating a culture of, you know, acknowledging that, you know, mental health is just as important as your PT score. Mm -hmm. uh, as somebody who openly has discussed their own experiences with anxiety, depression, and military sexual trauma, and my experiences throughout the guard, you know, there are a lot of folks who really would suffer in silence. And I have lost friends in the National Guard space um, that otherwise may not have where maybe they would have been identified if they had been active duty right to the point or earlier stated. And I did a lot of work in transition for like pilot programs, looking at the top program from an active duty standpoint, how do we, you know, work in these resources and whatnot at the guard and reserve component. And I'm interested to know a little bit more about your overseeing uh, a pilot project, right. In the state of Nevada, I want to know more about that for our listeners. And is this something that is going to be applicable or a template for other states to use? I see you sure. smiling. I see you smiling. Yes. Well, um, <laughs> that's exactly what we hope for. And that's exactly what our goals are. Um, the pilot program, you know, uh, Steve and I did an awful lot of research uh, in meeting with uh, the chain of command throughout the guard. Uh, spent a lot of time with many full bird colonels, of course, even our tag, uh, who's the adjunct general, uh, Major General uh, uh, Barry here in the case of Nevada, it, very supportive in working with the organization to first get an understanding of how they're dealing uh, with stress and depression within the ranks today. 
and then uh, to come up with what we thought might be uh, a good solution. So as you're, as you know, and I'm sure, you know, all of the staff knows, uh, there's a plethora of different programs that are out in the marketplace from everything from the VA veteran services, as well as uh, the armed services themselves. And that doesn't include, you know, SAMBA, SAMHSA, uh, all of the other suicide prevention organizations. And when you look at them, uh, they're somewhat disjointed. They're not a lot of connectivity. Uh, and there's not a clear path for where uh, soldiers and airmen need to go uh, to try to get help before it gets out of hand. So what we created was a program after spending an inordinate amount of time uh, meeting with people, understanding the programs that were out there, we found uh, that, that behind the gates, as we call it, uh, is where the first steps of help need to be. Um, many people in uniform do not want to go out to a strip mall somewhere, meet with a therapist, sitting the, in the waiting room in their uniform to speak with somebody. Um, you know, it, that is an uncomfortable situation, number one. Number two, many of the therapists that are out there commercially don't have an understanding of military culture. They don't have the background. And so it makes it very uncomfortable for a soldier to talk about their deployment in Afghanistan and dealing with, with you know, planted bombs, you know, IEDs in the road, conflicts, uh, and with somebody that doesn't have that background. So what we have worked towards is to try to get that first line of defense, if you want to use that term, to get it behind the gates and to take these overworked, uh, what are called DPH as directors of psychological health that are universal throughout the guard and to free up some of their time by adding additional therapists that would be available for soldiers that could benefit from enhanced uh, counseling and therapy. So the first step of it was to, to bring in these resources, but how do you do that? Uh, it's the, the National Guard, any division of the DOD uh, does not allow for nonprofits to provide any direct funding into their organization. So we found a conduit to be able to do that through the Department of Veterans Services. And it was an opportunity for them to receive nonprofit funding and then in turn to create a memorandum of understanding an MOU between the Guard and themselves uh, to earmark money that could be directly used for the benefit of the airmen and soldiers. So uh, that's how we approached that portion of it. And then we found that we needed to change the training and the culture. And that's where we identified a program, or I should say the National Guard identified a program uh, that they were very comfortable with that would bring in that change of culture, that would change the, the way the line of command would deal with stress and depression within the ranks. And so we're, again, through veteran services, helping to fund that change. So the pilot program has to do with changing the culture, uh, changing the training, the resiliency training, putting mental health and physical health on equal footing. And then for those that need some additional time to bring in some additional therapists. And so uh, that's really the sort of overall of what we're trying to do to create this pilot program here in Nevada. That's fantastic. I'm, I'm hearing like, uh, I'm hearing a lot of, you know, your, you're getting this memorandum together. You're having these these conversations. Um, you know, how open have folks been 
specifically, you know, the commanders, individual, um, you know, units, companies, battalions, been to having your resources available for annual PHAs or, you know, working with the meta- uh, medical battalions. I'm just kind of curious, just from my own experience and just some of the resources and things that I wish I saw a little bit more frequently and maybe mm-hmm. having something like that, that's, you know, impromptu for a soldier who's like, you know what, I probably could talk to somebody. And that's a resource that's there while they're in time and place. Cause that was something I found all too often was we have all the resources and, even with the VA and even like, you know, DOD, it's always very linear. Like there's kind of just like this, (laughs) everything is like, you have to hit all of the boxes, check all the boxes versus I'm in time and place. Like now I want to get my degree or, Hey, you know what? Maybe I I am depressed. Like I am (laughs) missing that camaraderie. Like, you know, so I'm just kind of uh, wondering about like, you know, the mental resiliency approach and how uh, there's just some, you know, uh, opportunities at the battalion, like these PHAs were just mm-hmm. kind of being in front of and speaking to soldiers about it. Well, I, we have found, Steve and I have found uh, a real openness and desire to help and to provide change uh, within the guard all the way up the line of command. So, uh, you know, we're dealing uh, all the way literally from the major general down uh, in the organization, we have not found stumbling blocks there. So uh, no one wants to have to attend funerals uh, for associates that have passed away and taken their lives because of stress and depression. So you know, there's no doubt uh, that uh, they're supportive. With respect to the VA, the VA has received an awful lot of attention right through the Trump administration into present day of just challenges that they've had in providing services uh, to our veteran community. And uh, that includes mental as well as, you know, physical uh, and, uh, you know, help that is needed, medical help. Um, So, uh, you know, I can tell you from personal experience, my own son in attempting to try to get help through the VA uh, was given openings on a schedule to meet with a therapist that were two months out. So uh, it's when you're going through crisis, uh, that's an intolerable situation to have to deal with. So um, it's not to say that there isn't desire on their part to improve um, and to do a better job. And so what we've attempted to do is to find, you know, some of the bright spots there. And so uh, there is a offshoot of the VA that's called the Vet Centers. And these are somewhat independent of the VA that allow for veterans, active duty, those that have served overseas, uh, to be able to go in and to get some help in a, in a confidential fashion. And so uh, th- there has been some bright spots there. Steve and I both Uh, visited one of the vet centers in Reno, Nevada, and uh, were impressed with their attitude and what they offered. And maybe Steve would like to comment a little bit about that, his experience with with meeting with that organization. It's been, when you you asked about how open the command was to these changes, uh, we've been blessed here in Nevada. Uh, I don't have personal knowledge as much as I do about the Nevada command, the General Barry has been extremely open to wanting to facilitate some change. Uh, Craig's son was part of his command. And so for the general, it was very personal when this occurred. 
Uh, just to amplify a little bit on why we've been able to be somewhat successful with the Nevada uh, situation, it, it, it reflects on what's unique about the Guard as opposed to the traditional military. The Guard, when they're not deployed, are under the command essentially of the governor, uh, as opposed to the President of the United States, Department of Defense and all of that. When they're deployed, things switch as they should. But because of that unique structure, uh, we were able to identify through a legal opinion uh, that had been essentially developed for another situation where private sector money was able to get into the military. We found that we were able to apply it to the Nevada Guard by virtue of coming through the governor's office. So that's how that memorandum of understanding worked. We worked with the civilian authorities that in the governor's office oversee the uh, responsibilities and the command of the guard while the governor is in charge. And there we're able then to use the civilian facilities to then bring that money, the private sector money to bear immediately on the needs uh, of what the guard was facing. To give you a sense uh, and not to disclose anything in terms of anybody's health, but one of, uh, one of the senior commanders for General Barry came back from deployment uh, suffering. Uh, and uh, General, General Barry, he became aware of it, but was uh, at, that, at that point, the person was uh, in line for a promotion, a major promotion. And General Barry was convinced that he was not going to stand in that person's way because they were suffering from some uh, mental uh, issues. And, but the condition of uh, supporting the promotion was going to be, we need to make your situation public. Our troops need to understand that coming forward, identifying yourself as having a problem is not gonna be an impediment to a career advancement. Now that so is, important. That is, so important. that is a major, major key to changing the overall culture. And once that message gets through, once it's talked about, it's amplified, then as Craig said, if we can then get the resources that these people need uh, and get them in a way where the command does not necessarily have to become uh, made aware uh, and they can get help and the command will not be made aware uh, unless there is such a significant problem that they can't be returned for deployment or have uh, troops under their command anymore, then you can have a lot of people coming forward and self-identifying. Uh, so uh, that, that I think has is, is been, you know, the key to this process. Now we've learned a lot um, in terms of trying to break that, that warrior culture down a little bit. LAPD, for example, had a program where uh, they didn't lose anybody to suicide for some time. The reason they did that was because they took everybody and put them through a counseling interview, uh, regardless of their situation. Uh, so everybody, you know, having to walk into that counselor's office was not a stigma. It was an assignment. We all had to do it. But during that interview, then, that counselor is able to be able to identify problems where they might not otherwise uh, have those surface. 
So we have, like I said, we've been blessed with the situation here in Nevada. I am confident uh, the commands of the guard throughout the various states are going to be as sympathetic and empathetic uh, to the situation as we found General Barry to be. Ashley, well, it gives me hope. It gives me so much hope as Ashley, a former guardsman. Ashley, I'd just like to add one other point. You know, a lot of times we focus on, on PTS, and, and, and I like the fact that you use that term and get the D out of it because it, it's post-traumatic stress. Um, it's not a disorder. Um, but we focus on deployments. We focus on hostile, you know, military operations that could be in a foreign conflict. But everyone deals with trauma in some fashion in their lives. It could be a sexual trauma. It could be a rape. It could be a trauma from an accident. It could be trauma within their family lives. And so how we deal with that trauma relates to whether it becomes something that affects our lives every day. Um, and I think one of the, the best books that I've read on this subject is The Body Keeps Score. And it's really a great publication. It was on the New York Times bestseller list for quite some time. It may still be. Um, but what we need in our lives is the ability to not forget about that trauma that existed, but be able to put it in the file cabinet of life and to be able to go on where it doesn't recreate itself in a day-to-day -day environment. Um, and so many times, uh, you know, people will have trauma and just to relate it, if you were in a very serious auto accident and all of a sudden, right before the impact of that accident, you heard a horn beeping uh, or you heard tires skidding, you know, you go to New York City and you hear horns beeping and you're getting flashbacks to that accident and your, your heart is racing, your, your pulse is increasing and you're reliving that experience. That's PTS in its truest form. So, uh, you know, it is not doesn't have to be a trauma where uh, it's involved in, in a conflict in a foreign war. And I think we need to broaden that understanding of PTS uh, because in many cases it affects so many people in their day to day lives. So I just wanted to make that point. Uh, because we do associate it a lot with deployments and coming back from deployments. But many times it's a combination of family pressures, children pressures, pressures with your job in the case of uh, folks that are reservists and all of these things coming back. And you're also not sleeping well. You're drinking more than you should. You're abusing alcohol, maybe even drugs. Uh, so, you know, all of these things combined adds to the pressure where somebody feels as though life would be better without them. Absolutely. And I think a, a very poignant uh, observation I found, at least through my own, you know, mentoring of my own soldiers and combating some of the, uh, if you will, stigma myself is we really need to focus on like the post-traumatic growth aspect of it. You know, it's, it's, it's accepting that trauma, processing that trauma. And as you said, putting it in that file cabinet and, you know, learning to have positive coping mechanisms and how we kind of process through life and how we as a whole want to, you know, move forward. So I think it's incredibly empowering. And I, I think the story shared, Steve, with, uh, you know, having someone of high rank come forward and say, hey, like, 
this isn't going to affect your promotion. I, I can say from personal experience, like there was a lot of times that I didn't say anything about my MST because I did not want to not get the promotion. I did not want to be able to go to the next unit. I didn't want anybody to know, right? So there's always going to be these obstacles in our life. But when we have the courage to step out and write that story and tell people what's happening, it becomes a page in someone else's survival guide. Mm -hmm. It really does. So I'm going to jump in here because we are way overdue for a commercial break here. So let's uh, let's take 30 seconds and we'll be back in just a minute. So you were discharged with a 20% disability rating, but now you can't hear so well and need help. Contact an American Legion service officer. Service officers are free of charge and they help all veterans. Find one near you with our online tool at legion.org forward slash service officers. All right, and we are rejoined now by our two guests with PTSD Now. My, my question is, you guys had mentioned some differences about the Guard, and I'm I also a Guard member, deployed twice uh, as an infantryman, so I, I get where you're coming from. S- some of the advantages you mentioned are that we are, Guards members are usually a little more mature. They sort of have an outside life. Those positives that I see impacting when you deploy are also negatives when you get back. And I know for myself, when I got back from Afghanistan, I got out of the army on like a Friday and I started law school the following Monday. And I was at that point, I was already stop loss. So I was out of the guard entirely and never had to go back. Um, I'm, I'm curious, we, I think it is important to separate the, the National Guard from the regular folks, because I think one of the advantages we have in the guard is Generally speaking, uh, everyone in the unit is kind of located within a, a nice area. Um, I'm just curious what you see as the why you're focusing on the guard because I agree there, you know that that's the way the focus should be. But maybe you could talk a little about the differences one finds with the guard and reserves versus the regular army. Or well, sure. Active I, I, duty. Well, it, it, the reason for starting with the guard, number one is that when we began our journey to create this organization and to have an impact uh, with the men and women that serve in the military, uh, the military is quite broad and multifaceted. And we wanted to do more than just to create a piece of legislation and help support it and put it in it out there and then not have it get funded, not get it used in day-to-day life. And so we have a lot of good legislation that became law that has done nothing. And so we wanted to do something where we could have the rubber meet the road and actually have an effect. So that was the reason that we focused on the National Guard, because we could make a difference there. And then also with the National Guard, uh, that's where my son had served. Uh, we knew many of the, 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 those in the chain of command that were there, and we felt that we'd have the, the, the best opportunity at affecting change and creating a pilot. And so that made the most sense for us to do as we started out with our limited resources. Sure. I would add only that because of this uh, bifurcation of command between civilian and uh, DOD, <clears throat> It gives you another channel in which to work. And that civilian channel is what did work for us with our pilot program. Um, The other thing with regard to traditional military, uh, trying to affect anything there, certainly with regard to getting resources, private sector resources, and it's almost impossible. The other thing is 
with legislation, you're going to find that if it isn't the DOD, it's the VA. And if it's not the VA, it's Homeland Security. You have to go through those three bureaucracies to deal with the traditional military, <clears throat> much more so than say with the Guard. So the Guard gives us a lot of opportunities. The other thing, the Guard is being used now, as Craig described earlier, so much more broadly. In civil disturbance, you rarely would see American traditional military in the streets. Let's hope we don't have to. Yeah. But they're using Guard personnel now to back up police. They're using them for catastrophes like fires. They're using them in ways that we never really envisioned uh, that before. Um, and uh, it's, it's just providing, sadly, more opportunity to try to affect the change. Yeah, and it, 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 my experience is also, I've been, to the, uh, I've been to meetings with directors of Veterans Affairs for the 50 states. Mm -hmm. It's a lot easier to, to meet with those people and to get a program going. And I, so I, I applaud you for the way you're doing. I actually knew the former director of VA for Nevada. And <laughs> being that it's a state level thing, it's just easier to get in the door. When you call Washington, D.C., you're not even sure where to start. When you get there, nobody's even sure who's responsible for it. So, yeah, I applaud. I applaud the effort. Jeff, yeah, you're I, up. I'm up. I'm, I'm curious about uh, an approach of like peer training. I know, you know, we're trying to change the culture in the veteran world. And uh, at my post, we had some mental health first aid training. So we're seeding uh, people with skills to recognize issues and then have resources available to refer people and hoping to, to take that legion wide at some point. Um, are, is, do you, are you employing, instead of always relying on command, it's sometimes it's the person sitting next to you that you, know, you feel more comfortable with or may uh, you know, feel more uh, free to be yourself so that some, that person might recognize some things that a, a person in command would never have the opportunity to. And I'm wondering if those things are in, in your program or in your plans, or if you have thoughts and think that sure. I'm crazy for bringing it up. <laughs> well, Jeff, it's a, it's a great point. It couldn't be a better segue to talk about the training that we're putting through, not only through the chain of command, but for all of the men and women that serve uh, here in the state of Nevada. It's called Purple Resolve. Uh, the reason for purple is that's the color you get when you blend red, white, and blue. And so all of that training takes and extends that battle buddy concept uh, where the support structure is among their peers, not necessarily uh, just their first sergeants and all the way up the line. So uh, absolutely, that is, that is a tenet of the program uh, that we are supporting within the Guard today. Purple Resolve is being trained by a world-class organization that has trained many of the police departments across the nation. It's called Blue Courage, and that is the training organization, and they're making a program specific to the National Guard, specific for us here in the state of Nevada, uh, that we at PTSD Now are supporting and bringing that training in. And so uh, that program will ultimately have all 4,500 participants here in the state of Nevada going through it. And the support needs to be grassroots up, not just straight in line of command down. Thank you. All right, Ash, you're up. So 
We know that this episode is going to air in September, and September is National Suicide Awareness Prevention Month. So I want to thank you both for for being on, and I want to have all of our listeners and our viewers know where they can find you. So if you could tell us where and how we can get a hold of you and any other resources that you might have that you just want to plug, plug, plug for, (laughs) because this is such an important topic, and I know our listeners will will enjoy the information. Um, our organization can be found on the World Wide Web. So uh, the, to find us, www.ptsdnow, uh, and so dot, uh, org. Uh, so that's the easiest way to find us. And PTSD, we sort of changed the definition to prevent and treat stress and depression now. So we changed the order instead of post-traumatic stress disorder. uh, We changed it to try to prevent and treat stress and depression. And that's everything that we do. So please look us up, uh, go on the web. Uh, You'll learn a lot about our organization. You certainly uh, have the ability through our website to donate funds. We're a full 501c3 uh, and recognize that the money that we receive goes to helping men and women. So we are very, very light on any organizational costs. They're, 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 they're a fraction of a percentage uh, to the money that's donated. So we encourage people to support us. We encourage you to support the men and women in uniform across the United States. And when you see a soldier that's out there, take the time to show your appreciation to them. And again, www.ptsdnow.org. Steve, you got any final thoughts for us? No, just uh, pass on to Jeff Semperfy. You know, <laughs> feeding so, the ego. Oh, oh <laughs> feeding his ego. We <laughs> just got to a place where Jeff admitted not 30 minutes ago that there might have been some cracks in his impervious nature. And now he's we're building him back up again. Here, here we go. It's all oh about boy. Jeff. It's so all about Jeff. Invincible Jeff. It certainly is. All right, guys. Thank you, thank you very much for joining <laughs> us today. We appreciate you taking time out of your day. And for everyone else, we'll be back right after this quick commercial break. Did you know that you could cut a five-pointed star in one snip? Betsy Ross did. Learn her secret and many other things you might not know about Old Glory in the American Legion's bookazine, Indivisible, the story of our flag. Available at legion.org forward slash emblem sales. All right, so now we have have talked to... Uh, Steve and Craig, and we found out more about their organization, and obviously we can't say enough good things about it, but uh, let's start with you, Ashley. What what are your takeaways on this? Uh, I really believe that the takeaway here is that, you know, your leadership matters on your company, battalion, brigade, all the way up to your state level as as a former National Guard soldier and NCO. I think you got to be on the lookout for signs and take care of your people because your people will take care of you. In addition to, you know, the PTSD now, I think they're doing a great job with a grassroots initiative to help National Guard folks who are what I always refer to as in a constant state of transition. So having resources and finding a funneling, you know, funding method to make, uh, you know, or excuse me, to help destignify uh, mental health um uh, 
like depression, anxiety, et cetera, I think is incredibly important. And I think uh, both Steve and Craig are, are doing some really great stuff. Jeff? What I found uh, really impressive is the, is the way that they are tackling the issue itself and the issues of dealing with issues in big bureaucracies and their inns in Nevada are allowing them to do what I think is a really powerful thing is have a proof of concept. Mm -hmm. So they're getting it done in a place where they have the, the ends and the resources to get it done. And hopefully uh, others, other states and maybe even uh, regular military DOD will take note of, of what they're doing and we can start to really see the spread. So really for the, a big takeaway for me is, I mean, I kind of assumed their expertise and their passion and, and all of that, but it's the approach, the way that they're getting it done to have success. I, I, I agree with you, Jeff. I, and I think almost always, it's the small C conservative in me, it's always best to have the answer closest to home. So I'm a big fan of state and local governments looking at issues like this, uh, way more so than trying to force something through National Guard Bureau and then down. Mm. I love the idea that they're doing it on the state level. And these, these direct, like I said, interviewing, talking to them, like I've seen directors meetings, directors of Veterans Affairs departments for all the 50 states. And those are people who really, really, really care about what's happening in their state. And they have a much better grasp on what's happening in their state because they are closer to it. They see the numbers. And, you know, it's I just don't know that the answer for the North, the, the New York Guard is going to be the same as the Florida Guard is going to be the same as Minnesota Guard. It's going to differ each place. So I love the fact that they're doing it local. And I am an unrepentant lover of the National Guard in all things. I, I, I do think we bring different tools to the table that some of the other ones, nah, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it, Ash. But so yes, much love right now. I'm a big fan of the guard. I'm a big fan of having, you know, people uh, from one locality there, even though I'm not in the locality that I served in. It was always nice knowing that I can go home to Virginia and, and see my peeps. Uh, but either way, great show. Uh, very much appreciate them. Everyone else. Uh, Jeff and Ashley, always good to see you, of course. Uh, but everyone else, remember to subscribe to Tango Alpha Lima on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And while you're there, review and rate us, preferably five stars. If you want to send us feedback, you can comment on YouTube or Facebook, or you can send us an email at tangoalphalima at legion.org. Guys, I'll see you later. Bye.